get ready to leap into this week's episode. Get it? It's because we're talking about Leap or Ballerina. Depends where you are in the world. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling, animation, and today, dance, dance, dance. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And we have a resident dance panel joining us today. Uh, Chris, will you introduce our guests for us? Sure. We have three, well, slash four, three and a half guests today. Hopefully three and an eighth guests. So we have um, Carol Maxwell-Rizabek, instructor at Dancer's Edge and at Coe College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We have Dr. Rochelle Riggs-Leva, our resident Simpsons expert and Doctor of Dance. And we have Sarah Hickson from Hickson Dance here in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you, all three of you, for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. And we also have Jack in the background. So if you hear a giant sound of elated childlike joy, that is my child. It's me. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) So Jack is also here in the background hanging out watching some palace pets, which is like, it's, it's generally considered to be a girl's show, but it's really good for both. So I, we haven't I, talked about palace pets yet. We should. Uh, <laughs> or not. Or not. Okay. So today, but anyway. <laughs> today on the show, we're talking about authenticity in your subject matter through the lens of a movie that just came out in the United States, I must say, because it's been out in France and Russia and everywhere else Canada. in the world. Canada. Um, Leap or Ballerina. Slash ballerina. Depending on where you are. So for our UK listeners, they're like, we've already seen this movie like months ago. And we're like, yeah, we're just catching up. But we're talking about Leap, and we're looking also at the uh, television classic Flash Beagle, starring the Peanuts gang. Um, Looking at how artists and designers and story makers come up and make something authentic. I I think there was a strong enough question mark in there. In that, in that statement. I heard so, it. to to get there, we needed three dance dance experts. Dance no, experts. Just, just say experts. Dance experts. Like a spurt of dance. Experts. Three experts in dance to help us look through how authentic were these movies and this show. So we just want to take a look at that. So. Mackenzie, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Leap is? Or do we want to start with Flash Beagle? Which way do we want to head? I think thematically we should start with Flash Beagle to kind of cover like this arc of (laughs) what dance is in animation. And if you want to catch up on early dance animation, you can go back and listen to our episode about um, what's opera doc, where we do talk about dance to a little bit. Right, because um, of the ballet in there. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yes. So there's ballet in that animation. That's early, early animation. Let's put high dance art into Looney Tunes and <laughs> roll with it. 
So now what happens in uh, the 80s is we get It's the Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown, uh, which I'm excited to hear from Dr. Rochelle Wixleva because I've heard this is her favorite Peanuts thing ever. And for me, it's a Peanuts thing that I've never heard of ever. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which puts um, not ballet, but the flash dance into animation in the 80s. So, you know, topical. It's timely. Um, I want to hear from our panel on this, if you've all had a chance to see this. Yeah? Okay, mm -hmm. excellent. Uh, because I'm I'm sorry the rest of you. I'm most excited to hear from Dr. Rochelle Wigsleva about It's the Flash Beagle. So, Dr. Rochelle, will you please lead us off? About the whole episode or just the dancing part? Let's talk about the dancing to start. The dancing how, how authentic start. is the dance? I think the dancing's pretty awesome. It's a dog, like... Doing disco. Doing disco. I love it. Would that be qualified as disco, though? Because No, not really. I don't know what to call it exactly. Well, it's, it's a cross between, like, disco and breaking and club things. I don't know. So um, it's the flash it dance. Was, dance. It was... Yeah, flash dance, which I don't know that it's its own genre, but kind no. of. Um, it's the movie. Yeah. It's the style of the movie, which was just a combination of a lot of things. Um, the woman that they rotoscoped the movement from was the body double for the actress in flash dance. Chris is looking at me like, what? No, no, that's that's yeah, exactly right, that. because... yeah. I just realized a good way to dis to start off this conversation. There are really about four ways to make movement authentic or that you can generate the movement from somebody dancing into actual animation. The first way is to use the live action as a reference. So film real people dancing and then approximate what they did, adding some stylization. I think that happens in Disney classic films a lot. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say, for context, you can listen to our episode on Snow White where we talk about live action as reference. Mm -hmm. So you can you have that, and but it's stylized. You're taking it and doing the characters not on top of it, but you're just using that live action as something to generate the movement itself. Then you have rotoscoping. And with rotoscoping, you are tracing on top of what someone else is doing live, whether it's a dog on top of a dancer, but you're going frame by frame creating that dance. But when you think about rotoscoping a human on top of a Peanuts character, the body proportions are really not at all the same. Mm -mm. So I think that would probably be an interesting process. Do you want to say one or two more words about that? Sentences. I well, should say well, sentences. well, like half of a Peanuts character body sizes their head. And their arms and legs are very short. Um, whereas most human beings have not a head the size of half their body. <laughs> Which is true. Um, and they have longer arms and legs. I guess I would think for the authenticity in It's the Flash Beagle, they're they're going more to capture the movement and the authenticity of the movement rather than the proportions. Because we do have a lot of like yeah. hand and foot gestures going on. 
Yeah, it's what what I appreciate about Snoopy's dancing <laughs> is that you can see his shoulders are moving and his hips are moving and there's an aliveness inside of his body. I, I don't know. I feel like a really crazy person saying that. <laughs> no, I, but <laughs> I was actually pretty impressed with the choreography. I mean, I almost wondered how did they go about... I didn't know it was rotoscoped. Um, because you can see the movement and it's very clear. It's like, oh, they did that on the right. Now they do that on the left. And it, it was actually choreography. <laughs> yeah. Even it was though like, it was peanuts, you know. Yeah, so actually, it was kind of impressive uh, from that from that standpoint. So and, there's a vote from Sarah for authenticity and, as well. And there and there were moves I remember doing as a child in jazz dance class that I saw Snoopy doing. So that, I mean, there was recognizable movement vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very recognizable vocabulary. I'm picturing now what what Rochelle was talking about with trying to draw Snoopy over the over the person, and I'm wondering like. Did they shrink the person down and draw Snoopy big over her to get the joints to kind of line up? Because that's where I'd be yeah. like, like, because his the distance from his hip to his knee is not going to yeah. be anything like hers. Mm. <laughs> so how does that? And yet and he's he's doing those same moves. That's so exactly that, what I was thinking about body proportions. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm wondering. I'd like to see those rotoscope uh, yes. pictures. <laughs> how they exactly how they lined that up. But my, my favorite, uh, as far as like how his body moved, was when he'd isolate his hip, how it had to like crease his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was adorable. Mm. <laughs> because Peanuts characters don't have hips. They don't. Right. <laughs> right. So his body had to do this little dent. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so as dancers, when you're watching something like Flash Beagle, because... As you get into the story, it starts off with Snoopy doing victory dances. So you see his little body, which is kind of silly, him doing victory dances after football. And then he gets his giant 1984 um, boombox. I almost had a hard time remembering the word boombox. It <laughs> was 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, don't say that. Um <laughs> So he has his boombox, and then he starts playing the theme song and dancing outside of his, you know, outside of his doghouse. Wow, I had trouble with lots of words today. (laughs) But what were you all thinking as Snoopy starts to dance? I know we gave you the assignment of authenticity and dancing, but was there a point where you forgot the assignment, or what, what were you noticing and what was going through your mind as you're watching this? I know we won't start with Rochelle because I know there's some <laughs> nostalgia there. <laughs> so um, can we start with Carol? Yeah, I'd, I'd never even heard of this, so there's no what? nostalgia. Yes, I'm not alone. <laughs> Sarah, had you heard of it too? Or? I, I have vague memories of possibly seeing this cartoon, but I, you know, when she mentioned it, I was not remembering what it was. Ah, so Carol, what what were you thinking? What was going through your mind as you were watching this first this instance first of Snoopy dancing? End zone dancing. Yes. Um. Well, that right away it was the flash dance move. I mean, he was doing the little running in place. In fact, his mm-hmm. legs his legs seemed to like get longer as he did that move to really show off what was going on. <laughs> and uh, it was definitely the the flash dance run in place that that you associate with flash dance if you had to pick one move that that is flash dance he was doing it 
And then he morphed into more jazz class stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what kinds of things are those dance class things? Can you guys describe? We did lots of layouts. Yep. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> is a layout? Head back. A layout's <laughs> where you kick your leg forward and you kind of arch back. Arch your body backward time. and your ah. <clears throat> Okay. Ones, the ones that showed up best to me when he'd like, he'd uh, touch behind, he'd like do a little touch of his toe behind and step out, touch his mm-hmm. toe behind the other leg and step out. That was really clear. He did some like touch fronts. Like, Yeah. They can't see you. No, they can't, they can't the, see you. the moment, though, that, that made Cammie and I both just laugh out loud, Cammie's my daughter who also dances, was in, near the end of the, of the cartoon. He, he goes into a dance thing, and he does floor work. Yeah. Where he like yeah. Goes, goes onto the floor and rolls and stands up, and we were both like, ah, floor work. Yes. <laughs> I'm picturing this now. I really like this excitement about this. Because I've been there about non-dance things in animation. Like, that's really cool. It was just so, so real. Just like, shouting, floor work. Yeah. <laughs> what about for you, Sarah? What was going some of the same? or? Yeah, I think just um, it was very much of its time period. So the kinds of movement that he was doing, just it was very obviously 1980s style jazz dance. Which does have a little bit of a remnant of the disco stuff in it from the seventies. Um, yeah, I, I noticed the floor work role as well. It was it was brief, but it was it was definitely there. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm reminded there was just a lot of leg and arm movements. And then if I think back to the earlier in the cartoon, uh, who was it? Peppermint Patty. She does the aerobics. Needs like an, yeah, like yeah. a whole sequence of aerobic. <laughs> It's like jazzercise, I guess. Yeah. And so there were a she lot does of eighties like, like kicking arms and legs. Yeah, jazzercise style. Yeah. She's doing like touch your knees, touch the floor. Yeah. So lift your knee. And, oops, I shouldn't move when I'm talking. <laughs> this is the problem I have talking about moving. I have to do it while I'm saying. <laughs> so, question for the panel, I think. Um, for me, one of the thoughts that I thought might be most authentic about the dance in this short uh, was the next day when Snoopy's just exhausted and sleeping. Would you say that that is true to life? Yeah, I would. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You, if you've had a long day of rehearsal or a performance, you're pretty, you're pretty dead to the world the next day. And sore. Okay. Get, getting out we... of bed, getting off of the doghouse would be kind of hard and... Pleasant. <laughs> and maybe we found the key to why Peppermint Patty's always asleep in class. Yeah. She's been jazzercising uh, secretly all this time. Well, during Peppermint that song, Patty. she talks about swimming and running and yeah. all of the things that she does. Of course, she's going to she be physically exhausted. Yeah. I, I think I want to move to leap a little bit more because the one thing that you start getting with Flash Beagle, just to put a period on the sentence, is it's very much of its time. And it's very much the movement within its own time and the style within its time. Um, So it feels very much 1983, 1984. So it's very much cemented in the authenticity of place and style and music and form. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) So then the next thing, when we move to Leap we get something completely different. Um, And just to finish off the list of 
ways that dance can be authenticated. So we left off with rotoscoping, which puts us into Flash Beagle, but now we get something different when you move to digital. So the two ways that you can do this in digital are things like motion capture, which is like digital rotoscoping is what I think it is. It's you put dots all over somebody's body, put them in pajamas, and then you record their motion and it's performed exactly or as close to exactly as it had been. So it'd be very easy to rotoscope a digital Snoopy mm-hmm. using motion capture mm-hmm. as long as yeah. you put all the correct points in his digital form. Huh. That would be very easy to do. I say easy, but, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that I, I just insulted tons of <laughs> CG artists. The community is going to so, come after you now. <laughs> sorry, mocap folks. I don't mean it that way. I just mean... Easier than tracing. Straightforward. That's what I mean. Thank you. It's a more straightforward process. Thank you. So the fourth way to do this is with keyframing. And keyframing is where you choose a specific pose and you lock that in. And then you find another main pose and you lock that in. And then the computer will approximate the movement that goes in between that. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, dance panel, but this seems like if you set the computer to go and say this is, if you were going through the ballet positions, which shows my only knowledge of ballet, but you have position one, position two, three, four, five, and then six? There is a six. Seven? And eight? There is now a six. There is a six. It It was added much later. It was added much later. Okay. So then you have the, each, each of those positions and you could map them into the computer and the computer could find one way, some way to get from each pose or position. You could. It sounds very Forsyth. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Isn't that one William Forsyth's new classicism? He takes the basic positions of classical ballet, but he uses different pathways yeah, to his, get there. Uh, William Forsyth's work might arguably be the real development of ballet technique, even though it looks nothing like what you expect ballet to look like, because he is basing it so much on these classical shapes and lines, um, but what he does with them and around them is just extremely different. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a specific way to get from one position to the next? Is there an expected specific way your body's supposed to go from first to second or third to fourth? So first, second, third, fourth, and fifth positions are positions of the feet and arms. And it's not so much that you would go from one to the next as that they are incorporated into other movement. So if you're in fifth position, the step you're going to work on, you could work on any number of steps from that sort of home base position, but it isn't, it isn't in itself like a step. It's just a, it's a, a place to be. Place to be. A pose, mm. if you want to say pose. Like a foundation that yes. you would, on which you would rest something else. Yes, or out of which you would move. 
Carol, how do you talk to your students about moving between positions? Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the elusive transition. Yeah. Um, some of the students I work with are, are competitive dancers. And the, a typical thing for a, a judge at a dance competition to say is to work on your transitions. And that's an easy thing to say, but what do they mean by that? And I think that's what we're talking about, and the, and the answer is, is, is huge. Um, it's about your weight transfer. It's about your, uh, the shapes you're moving through. It's about your attention to detail. It's all, so it's a very simple thing to say, work on your transitions, but, but in each case it, it might be totally different things you need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Well, I see that as like directly applicable to writing as well, um, if I may bring this back around to the title of our show briefly. Go ahead. <laughs> if you must. Um, like, I, I think that's something that you see in, like, scripting um, animation, scripting anything, TV shows, movies, plays, whatever. It's the same thing of transitions. You have ideas in your head of, like, this script must hit A, B, C, and D, and then it's getting between these things that people have trouble with. Mm. It's very easy to have an idea of your head of what you want to write for specific moments, but then getting between them is like, uh, you need to work on a... I'm doing that. That's where plot holes come from. (laughs) So these are movement plot holes. Yes, movement plot holes. Dance plot holes? Dance holes? No. No. Okay. (laughs) No. Veto. But, uh, Mackenzie, do you want to take us through what Leap itself is about? Um, Well, let me me say one quick thing. Leap chose keyframing. That's the way they chose to do the movement and recreate the movement is through keyframing. So finding specific poses and then letting the computer interpolate between them and create those transitions between. Um, Also using some live action as a reference for other pieces of it. They had two dancers who performed and choreographed essentially. So they did a little bit of Live action reference, not quite motion capture, but hmm. they used what they called keyframing. But Mackenzie, can you tell us the story of Leap? And then we can talk about authenticity. And, and <laughs> I don't want to use too many air quotes as we discuss it, but do you want to take us through the story? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can discuss um, the story more in depth after we get into dance. But the general idea of Leap exclamation point, slash ballerina, um, depending on the movie you saw, um, is that there are these two orphans who live in rural France, um, Felicie and Victor, and they're best friends. They've grown up together. They came to the orphanage at the same time. They're always trying to escape. Um, And finally, spoiler, successfully they do escape the orphanage. Um, And they head to Paris to fulfill their dreams because if they want it bad enough, of course their dreams are going to come true. And Felicie wants to be this um, world-renowned ballet dancer, and Victor wants to become this world-renowned inventor, and he keeps working on iterations of his chicken wings, and they lose track of how many iterations are at one point. That's my writing plot hole. There are four of them, not three. (laughs) Looking at you, script. Um, (laughs) And essentially, their first night in Paris, they stop by the Eiffel Tower, and they get separated. And essentially, it's a wash and repeat Each day they get separated. The story follows Felicie um, as she's pursuing ballet during the day, meeting up with Victor at night. 
Um, and then Victor kind of recounts his side adventures. Um, and that's kind of what's happening. And essentially, Felici, the, the crooks of the movie is that Felici's been dancing for fun her entire life and doing like her just expressing herself dance. Um, and then when she shows up to the actual ballet training, she realizes that ballet is about um, technique and form and precision. And that is not what she has practiced. And so she struggles to fulfill her dream of this very different type of dance that she wasn't expecting. And I think to lead our talk of authenticity, my one biggest dramaturgical pet peeve with this movie is when they show the construction of the Statue of Liberty, which is a <laughs> pivotal thing, is that it's green. It is not green in France. It was copper, like a penny. It's made of 30 million pennies, essentially. So it starts brown, and only after they assembled it and left it for 30 years in New York did it turn green over time as it oxidized. <laughs> Bad dramaturgy. The only one? Well, that's, that's <laughs> the <laughs> biggest one. That's I my mean, biggest the, one. As we're getting, uh, let's talk about authenticity of time. Uh, we're we're going to go through this real quick. Eiffel Tower started construction in 1887, and it took about three years to finish. So 18, somewhere between 1887 and 1890 is where we are if we're going by the biggest centerpiece that we know, which is Eiffel Tower being constructed. The Statue of Liberty was dedicated in 1886, so it was already I think it was in America built in 1875 or some yeah. almost 10 years yeah. earlier. Yeah. It was definitely was not in France. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> and it wasn't green as Mackenzie stated. And then um, we go through and have the Nutcracker being performed in Paris, which the Nutcracker came out in Russia first because Tchaikovsky mm -hmm. in 1892. So years after, it probably wouldn't have been in Paris until 1900s at least. Easily. I don't know when they got it. We didn't get it in America until like 1950. Really? That late? Took a while. The Nutcracker? Yeah. There was the, there was this whole crazy thing that happened with ballet down in Russia too. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> like so background. Since many of us are from Columbus and I'm from Columbus originally, I'm used to like the Nutcracker ballet being this annual thing that happens in Columbus. Yeah. So it's just like yeah. an assumed oh, part everywhere. of cultural identity. Everywhere. Oh, no, it's everywhere. everywhere. Okay. But, at least in this country. Yeah, in Since this country. The 50s. This was Balanchine's deal, who came from Russia, and he, he brought it, and he made it the annual cash cow that it is. Okay. But, but like, classical ballet, which would have been the Nutcracker, developed into many other forms, I guess you could say, in terms of ballet at the turn of the 20th century, and so... The ballet went in a different direction, so it's not that the Nutcracker would have been quite the popular. Well, I mean, it wasn't popular when it came out, but <laughs> <laughs> it's only popular now. Yeah. So I'm wondering when uh, does Paris Opera even even do Nutcracker? Um, I can't imagine that the Paris Opera would have done it until yeah, well until in the it became century. popular other places. Yeah, yeah, and I then mean, it would have the been a demand. Ballet happened. Yeah. In Paris, that's really what was going on at the turn of the yeah, century. Yeah, Ballet Russe, yeah. 
And they definitely did not do the nutcracker. No, they did not. <laughs> can, can we talk a little bit about... So if we say that based on the Eiffel Tower, it's 1887-ish. If we'll give it an ish in there, you know, drop. 1880s. 1880s. Late 1880s. It's like... It's kind of like Flash Beagle. It's in the late 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So if we, if we go late 80s on Leap on this, what was going on in ballet? And what were the things that we knew about ballet and dance sociologically? Um, what customs? Like what, what are we looking at in terms of dance? Since they chose a very specific time... What was going on? I think if you look at the kind of training and the kind of academy that they presented in this movie as Felice's experience, they got the setting wrong. Instead of Paris, it would have mm. been in Russia. It would have been in, you know, not the Kirov, but uh, whatever the Royal... Mariansky? Yeah, the Mariansky Imperial? Theater. Yeah. Imperial. Yeah, um, they would have been Imperial at that time. And yeah, I, and, and I that's just, really where this kind of training would have been happening. I just Googled, and Nutcracker uh, came out in uh, 1892. Mm-hmm. So, 1890. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 1892 in Russia. Uh, Paris Opera at that time would still have just been recycling their claim to fame ballets, their, the Romantic period ballets. Mm-hmm. So in the second half of the 19th century in Western Europe, certainly in France, the kind of ballets that were being done, yes, there were some holdover of the romantic ballets where women were, you know, fairies or ghosts or... The sylph. Yes, the sylph. There were all these sort of ethereal creatures, which were really popular in the first half of the 19th century. And then newer things that were being created were actually not very good. Um, I would say this is a period where ballet really saw a major decline uh, in quality and artistry. and In France, specifically? In, well, certainly in Western Europe, though. Yeah, I would say in France, in England, they all... Yeah, I it, mean, it got very much about um, just, you know, like getting bodies on stage and putting them in revealing costumes and... Yeah. I think that's true of theater also, though, because we have, if you're not a history of Western theater expert, um, this is a time in London when they're flooding giant hippodromes to stage, like, bad naval plays <laughs> instead of floating <laughs> fake warships. Yes. Obviously, none of this has survived, <laughs> or we don't care because it's bad. Yeah, we probably don't care. It's all about spectacle. Yeah, I don't know that any ballets from this period survived. That I can think of. I can't think of any. We can think of older ones, but mm-hmm. not from that particular period. And because, that's probably why. And once I start to think of classical ballet, I, I go to you Russia. You go to Russia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. And Petapa. That yep. I don't think of France. So, so, so why do you think they chose France? I, I hate to say this, but I think I really wanted the movie to not rely on the stereotypes that people have in their head with dance and the associations with it. But I think that was one of them that, you know, the terms are in French and therefore ballet is French and it is in its origin. It is, but um, you know, just at this particular time period, it was not the center of quality, you know, dance creation or training. Well, I mean, I would say it's because it's a French movie. They set in France. (laughs) That'd be my guess. I, I would think the French would be much more particular yeah. about their cultural artifacts. 
I kind of agree. I'm not sure if that's true. It's French-Canadian, right? It's French and Canadian, a joint Ah. venture between both. Because I would imagine the the French are actually quite educated in their arts. And they would, I think they would know better. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they're trying to recreate something that that wasn't there and say no ballet was always like this because i mean there are there are a lot of anachronisms mm-hmm. in their um jean shorts yeah being i think yeah. the the biggest <laughs> <laughs> the biggest one for me that i could notice but what are some of those things that struck you as inauthentic in either the training or the dancing or what what did they get wrong as for you as dancers? I think the timeline was very unrealistic and very, this happens a lot, I feel like, in dance movies, where someone who has no training but has lots of you know, passion, passion shows up <laughs> and within a month they're you know, ready to like debut on the stage, the Paris it's like, it's like a week. She's yeah. in this class for uh, yeah. a week. It's, it's, un, it's unclear how long they're there, but it certainly feels short. Well, well that girl was being cut each day. Yeah, so right, it was about day. a week. Yeah, That's what I was yeah. going to say. They're, they're cutting a day, That's and true. how many girls did they have in there? Not, less than 10. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. that is a trope. Yeah, that's that's dance movies are always like that. Um, I, 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 maybe it's because dance training is so repetitive that to actually have to watch it, you know, <laughs> you would not want to watch quite, it in real time. Quite the montage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have Getting a, incrementally better every day. <laughs> and aging. <laughs> I have. Uh, what you would actually do is like a montage that lasts for three minutes and then you say, Ooh, that was a tough beginning of the class. Moving on to the second half. Yes. <laughs> Everyone get a drink of water. We're going to come back for the next half. But Carol, you were, you were about to say something. Oh, I, uh, I have some things pulled up here from I belong to a dance teacher network on, online. And they, most of us were taking our kids or, or recommending, hey, there's a new dance movie out. Everybody go. Because it, 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 people love to watch a dance movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first lady who introduces, she says, I love the movie Leap, but I have a feeling I'm going to have a surge of kids and parents who show up and expect their kid to be doing fuetes on point after a week, LOL. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah it, did, it did feel like she was, uh, the Felici progressed to being on point very quickly and very easily. Like, I can't stand on like the tips of her toes. Out she on did. Point. Well, that, she was dancing on point in her boots all along. <laughs> yeah, boots are, yeah, boots are easy, ballet shoes not. <laughs> Well, they did, they did, and I appreciated that they showed how she had no idea how to tie the ribbons. Yes. The first time she put the shoes on, they came untied. She fell down. They were laced up her leg. The ballet master made a snarky comment at her about it. I appreciated that. <laughs> That's authentic. So, so, the so first, that was authentic. That, that was authentic to me. moment of her, of her uh, week experience was correct. And yes. then it just yes. took yes. off. Yes, yes. <laughs> Except that she was putting point shoes on, which a beginning student at any age would not be doing. Yeah, and another comment. That's something you have to work up to for sure. Another comment from the teachers said, uh, and this is another thing you see in in ballet movies all the time. They joke about how she just borrowed point shoes that miraculously fit (laughs) from her teacher. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, point (laughs) shoes, uh, they're handmade. Mm -hmm. They are straight last, which means there's no right and left. And they 
people are extremely picky about how they go on their feet, how hard they are, you know, just the shape of them. There are so many details that go into them. Mm -hmm. And so having a shoe fitting, and you do have to have a shoe fitting, can take hours to pick the right pair. And even then it can end up not being the best pair for you until you've danced in them. And so it's a it's a maybe a many year process of finding the exact right pair of point shoes that work for you. And even then professionals will have multiple pairs of point shoes and they'll use them for different things. Mm-hmm. And they might actually run off into the wing in the middle of a show and change shoes, depending on what they're going to do next. <laughs> and so they're intended to be disposable. They're, they're yes. disposable. Yes. You, you go through them. So for her teacher to have a pair that she has yeah. saved. Um, and either, they're in perfect condition. Yeah, either she never, on them. <laughs> never wore them or, right. or they wouldn't be useful anymore. Right. I could maybe dramatically buy that moment if there was some more background, like, oh, yeah, I got these point shoes, and then I had my accent, so I never right. got to use them. Like, give us more, like, background on that character. I yes. did Writing-wise, appreciate I could buy it. that they were red. I thought it was a reference to and the I red shoes. And I figured it was a reference to the red shoes, not that any of the children who would come to the movie might make that connection. But yeah. I, Oh, so you thought re- that referenced I, the end of her career? Or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or just the fact that there's a movie called The Red Shoes, ah, ah, given okay. the uh, well, dance elsewhere. Yeah. Because well, I that, that's don't a, that's know another, anything about that. That's a, a live action dance movie. With, uh, starring Danny Kaye. And, and I forget her name. She's she a was from the Royal Ballet. Yes. Um, and she he he's a shoemaker and he creates these amazing shoes for this ballerina that he kind of falls in love with. And and one of the pairs that she gets is red, and there's there's a whole story about that for another yeah. episode. Except it's not not animated. animated so <laughs> when you do your spinoff <laughs> dance films, uh, writers write them podcast. Well, if this <laughs> is a, a point we're going to talk about about future episodes about dance, want to mention that uh, there are dance uh, movies that have. Use the other technique that Chris was talking about, the motion capture, that are mm-hmm. the Barbie dance films. So there are yeah. Barbie, really? yeah, there are Barbie ballet films that use some dancers from New York City Ballet, and where they do the motion capture, and then they limit it with the the movements that Barbie can do, which is an interesting <laughs> uh, switch. Is that really the limitations? Like to see that. Yeah, the limitations then become what Barbie can do, not what the ballerinas can do, who are who are doing the original movement. I, I never would have thought of like a Barbie movie as like authentic for dance and authentic dramaturgically for what the Barbie toy can do. <laughs> well, <laughs> they put out about one or two a year, so they've gotten pretty good at it. <laughs> what? How many Barbie dance movies well, are there? Uh, Barbie movies. They put out that many. And, uh, and okay. there are several that are dance. I would say five or six that are that are dance based. Yeah. You guys are going to have to have a follow up episode. <laughs> follow-up Barbie dance episode. <laughs> if you're talking about authenticity in dance, and, and yeah, I think you are going to have to have a, a Barbie Swan Lake or something. Uh, 12 Dancing Princesses, I think, is the oh, pinnacle, pinnacle of their work so far. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. Noted. <laughs> Can't wait. So let's talk a little bit about Felice's training. So mm-hmm. we talked about the training, the week long being a movie trope, reduced timeline. We have to build up towards an audition or 
getting the part or getting a role. And it feels like the story wanted to just be about one, but it decided to do everything mm -hmm. and then turn into an action movie for the last 20 minutes of it. Um, so what did it get right in that training beyond the very first day? Is there anything else that you saw, whether it's being eliminated from your class <laughs> or jumping to hit, you know, a bell and land without splashing? Was there anything in the training that you said that speaks real or in the movement that you say that's real? I, I laughed when you said being eliminated from your class because that would not be authentic to my experience. <laughs> but I do know that there are places that are very particular about if you get put in the front row or a spot in the front row, you have earned that place and you can be moved to a back row or a different spot if you aren't yeah, performing up to par that day. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I saw that firsthand um, in when I, when I did a cultural exchange in college in China. Students were in the middle of class and the teacher stopped and moved a couple around. And you could just see the girl that went from the front row to the middle row was utterly destroyed. And the other kids, as they moved up, were like, ha, 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 ha. It was... There, yeah. Okay, there, yes. You know, there, in every stereotype, there is certainly a kernel of truth. But that is perhaps. not what my training experience no. has been at all. I would say in this country, dance training is sort of looked on as um, not a right, but, you know, like everyone can do it as long as you can afford to to take the classes and so there is an there's a consumer expectation that if I've paid for these classes I get to take the classes mm -hmm. and do the training where I and certainly in other countries I think that's not necessarily the case and there's no expectation that you will go on or that you will not be kicked out or... and those students were handpicked by the Chinese yes. government oh, yes. and they lived at the school and yes. they were setting up to be professional same is true so. still for schools in russia very um, different than, and that yeah, would be true to the true to the paris opera too where she's yes. training yes. Uh, yes. that um, you would you would be accepted as a child and but you could lose your position and yes but but it would be very difficult to enter after you were about eight years old though would that have been the case in the 1800s i don't know <laughs> i don't um, know <laughs> the, the letter of acceptance that the girl got uh, seems probable, but they, it sounded like they hadn't seen her dance and she'd been training on her own. So that's a little I'm, weird. I'm going to go with no on this based on the location. Because, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, dancers in Western Europe, certainly at this period, would have really been looked down on. Mm. Uh, to be a dancer was a really low class. Uh, not very accepted thing. You were you were sort of like one step better than a prostitute. It really wasn't something that a Literally. well to do aristocrat. Ken, Ken would is want laughing, but this is true. Yeah. I believe it. Which <laughs> is which is why a lot of them were orphans. So they kind of got that backwards. Yes. They would have they would have yeah, scouted her as an orphan. <laughs> yeah, I say Felicity would have totally been in. Yeah. But you know, so that was true. That was sort of backwards, but true. Yeah. So Felicity wouldn't have had to 
take the identity of a rich girl to get into class. No, in fact, it probably would have been very interesting to see the rich girl trying to be pretending to be an orphan in order to get in and doing a that way. But oh, like agree. thematically in the modern age, I have a problem with the rich white girl like trying to like take over and like be <laughs> accepted <laughs> in this group. Well, again, I think that's where the stereotype, our modern stereotype about this, and comes and, the, yes. and the the mother being the only reason that that yes. uh, what was her name Camille yes. Camille, yes, Camille was dancing. Um, that that's a different. I mean, that was very center stage. Yeah, I thought the stage mm-hmm. mom with the stage mom and with the crushed dreams, the crushed of her dreams, own. and I don't only dancing because my mom said I should be dancing. But wasn't the voice of Camille Maddie Ziegler? And who is she? <laughs> The star of uh, Dance Moms, the TV show. Can you look puzzled? Wait, Have you heard what? of this? I've heard of Dance Moms, the TV show, but I didn't know they would like cast a Dance Mom star in a, an actual like piece of fiction. Carol, I feel like you might know more, more about, more about than that I do. scene. Uh, yeah. So, so Dance Moms is famous because it's a very uh, cruel dance teacher. Um, saying this is how tough it has to be in the real world and exploiting the children and and maddie ziegler is her her star student who actually is very talented has been in several things since then and uh she's been kind of a a social media then uh tv media social media uh, star but she she has um she has real talent she's been in some things that since then that uh that show that that she's quality uh, but her name is known because of her uh, reality TV stardom. And did they recently have her as a guest judge or a regular judge on So You Think You Can Dance? On something. I don't follow that one, but yeah. I don't follow it either. But yeah, she, she, would, be some, she would be somebody that people who don't necessarily have a lot of dance training or aren't themselves like professional dancers like I imagine what the demographic for going to see this movie would Pre-teens. be familiar with her. Preteens. I've probably seen that Teens. show. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's the same. Like, I'm not familiar with that at all. But I'm also, like, vaguely aware of, like, Carly Rae Jepsen as a person. And yeah. she was a major... She was Felice, wasn't she? No, she was the um, tra- trainer. The, the injured uh, Miyagi. She was the Mrs. Miyagi. Yeah, yes. Miyagi is a very apt reference here because the training that they did, that she gave Felicia outside of class, was very Mr. Miyagi or very Jean Claude Van Damme <laughs> in its uh, uh, <laughs> training applications. <laughs> I was going to say, as far as authenticity of experience goes, yeah. No one ever stood me on a barrel or like told me to hit the bell without <laughs> splashing the water. But I did really enjoy the moment where she's like, "You will wash this window, not with your hand." <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, please let it be your foot." It was her foot. She's working on extension. Awesome, wax, wax on, on. Wax yes. <laughs> so, how do you guys feel about the uh, the very first day of class when they have to do the splits? And Felicity struggles a little bit, but still successfully like winds up in the perfect split position. And the it train was very girl amusing can't get about up. the girl that got stuck <laughs> and couldn't get up, and they were carrying her out in the background. I was like, "Is that yeah, a fair- thing that can happen?" Because I don't think it is. No, 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 and not unless you've hurt yourself. Unless you've hurt yourself, and in which case you have bigger problems than yeah. dance class. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, no, that was inaccurate. I mean, you can't force someone into the splits without severely without injuring actually them. pulling yeah. or ripping, ripping some sort muscle. of soft tissue. I'm, I'm going to say that Felicity, that's something that she may have been practicing. That okay. That that it's conceivable that she uh, was doing flexibility things just mm-hmm. instinctively. That that yeah. Uh, but but to to even have a ballet class just stop and do the splits is <laughs> not yeah, a thing. That's weird. And, <laughs> and she, I mean, very possible she could be hypermobile. Yeah. Some some people are hypermobile. They have loose ligaments and joints and can easily just do those things. But most people just walking down the street, not so much. And if she did have that, she would have other problems with her training, training because yeah. she would have trouble, ha- you know, strength being strong. Yeah, being strong and having a center that's really going to hold her up and all that kind of stuff. So here's something that's, I think, difficult with animation now that we're into computer animation. Mm -hmm. I think we had an easier time with authenticity with hand-drawn because everything was stylized. You knew that it wasn't real. It was, it may have been trying to recreate movement in, you know, in, in style but couldn't, you would never be fooled that Snoopy, as real as his movements are, is real. There's always a disconnect from the reality of Snoopy dancing to being a drawn dog. There's no accidental understanding of that's a real well, dog dancing. Dog. I know, I know. Um, but, but then. But like Peppermint Patty, maybe. Possibly, possibly. But then you get into something with Leap, and yes, the character design isn't realistic, but the world that they inhabit, the water that she does not splash, and the bell and everything is created to such a photorealistic detail Mm -hmm. that you start to think everything else should be real. And even their spinning and their turning should be real in some way, that it should be evocative of actual real movement. So it was clear that they either, you know, copied someone dancing in, in this way with the keyframing or something, where they were doing recognizable steps. They were doing tondus, they were doing fuetes, they were doing petit allegro. But the thing that struck me was that there was no um, realistic sense of their weight. They oh, never I got that looked, too. yeah, like they, it, it almost looked too much like they were just floating on the surface of the floor, and that's impossible. And while that is certainly a sort of a goal of ballet to look like it's effortless and weightless and weightless, you the way are. you do that is to actually, in a very sophisticated yeah. manner, use your weight and to know when you have to be resilient and when you have to be strong and when you have to be light and and. That was missing from the way that the dance was animated. That's what I puzzled about a lot afterward, too, thinking about it in terms of of, uh, how successful they were at the realism of dance. Uh, With things that were turning, it seemed to have a pretty Mm -hmm. good sense of how that really feels or, you know, works Mm -hmm. uh, with physics. With the jumping, I, I wondered whether... It was a problem of animation because I know that's been true in the past. For example, with um, well, what was the program Rochelle that Cunningham used 
that had the little model. Life forms? Yeah, life forms. <coughs> it was, uh, they had trouble giving the, the little body weight that was realistic mm -hmm. and everything looked floaty. So I wondered whether that was still true, that that's hard to animate, or whether they wanted that as an aesthetic that it was so light, especially since they had that leap that was going to be the <laughs> pinnacle of the universe. Um, yes. And that happened, she had to fly over the uh, all those stairs and things, stairs. whether whether they were saying that, that that lightness, whether they were doing that on purpose as an idealized thing or whether that's just a, a, a rough thing in animation. I think it's a rough thing in animation. I think it's maybe getting better, and I'm not going to be the expert on this, but I have a very clear memory of at one point when there was a Hulk movie, the one that everybody <laughs> hated. <laughs> And the so the Hulk, first Hulk movie. I, I don't know. One of them. You're, you're thinking of Norton? Hulk starring it, the, the oh, Ang Lee's There was Hulk. the big one. And I just remember the scene. He's like jumping from mountain to mountain. And the mountains are crumbling when he lands. But he's the Hulk and he's giant. But there was no weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's him. like he, he hits the mountain and it crumbles. But he doesn't actually make contact with like it. Like he didn't have any squash and stretch. Right. His body needs to sink down and get small before it rebounds. And he was definitely going up and down on my screen, but right. <laughs> not with So weight. pertinent to Rochelle's shirt right now, what I'm thinking of a good example in live action movies, well, probably a CGI moment, of doing this is in Wonder Woman when she lands and you can see her flesh like responding to that superhero landing. Is that animated? I don't know if it was CGI or just like all the CGI around Gal Gadot. I don't know. But there was just like this lovely moment of like you can see her skin like mm -hmm. reverberating a little bit with the landing instead of just like this magical like static person landing. I almost feel like listening to Chris describe the difference between the keyframing and, you know, like the motion capture that as a, as a mover to me, motion capture still would be the more accurate way to record movement because mm -hmm. you're actually getting some kind of information on a moving body. Whereas asking a computer to kind of make up what happens in between is unrealistic. It's not human. It's a computer. And so, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, like the movement quality of say Andy Sarkis in, you know, as Gollum, you, he has weight. Yeah. You can yeah. tell he's moving around and he's, he, he feels like he's as real as one of the other actors on the screen, even though, you know, he's, been CGI'd in his little but it's because I think it was motion capture so it was mm -hmm. actually capturing him you know making those moves and doing those shapes and and so it was more realistic than this where we just lost the sense of a dancer using their weight to accomplish those steps and, and to bring so in some would you oh sorry oh, Mackenzie go ahead would you say that keyframing as far as a dance goes in animation needs to work on its transitions I, I, this is my only experience of that, but yes, I think based on that, it certainly, I think it certainly made it less human. It made it mess, less um, real. Now, or this is what, something, oh, oh go, sorry. Me, or what needs to be added is some kind of gravity algorithm yeah, mm -hmm. that will yeah. change the timing of, of how you get from one to the other, that it doesn't just happen on a, a smooth uh, trajectory. Yeah. So I guess what we'll have to do is look at dance pieces from things such as when Rapunzel dances in Tangled and see how that movement mm. goes versus, you know, Snow White's dancing, Cinderella's dancing, mm. Moana's dancing. Like, 
where is their weight? Where is there not weight? Um, and this is something from the producer of Leap. Mm-hmm. He said that an advantage, and this is paraphrasing an English translation of a French <laughs> um, interview. So I just want to let you know. But an advantage of animation is being able to offer an image, sensation, and emotions that are decoupled from reality. Mm. So you have the, and this is one of my prime frustrations with some, some, sometimes the idea of animation is you're able to do anything and you're able to make anything with animation. It's, it's a blank page or it's an empty 3D space. You can put whatever you want and allow characters to do whatever you want in them because they're not real. And for me, I think that's completely missing the point. Yes, I think if you, yes, you can do anything, but if you establish the rules of that world physically and writing wise and stylistically with dance, and then you have to follow those rules and you can do anything within the rules that you've set. (laughs) That's my opinion. I totally agree. And the way, and I think that a lot of times, I'll have to call it traditional computer generated. (laughs) I know this is weird, but, but traditionally their idea of making things look so realistic, they forget that they're setting themselves up, not necessarily for failure, but they're setting themselves up for the rules of our world Mm -hmm. being the rules of the world that they've created. It's our expectation when we go into it. There's something to be said for like how animation pushes forward and becomes more realistic over time. And I think you can trace that through the history of dance and animation, because as you mentioned with the four types of kind of making that realistic, the using live action as reference, rotoscoping, um, keyframing and motion capture. I think you see, historical pieces of animation where we're like, wow, that's really realistic. Snow White, um, what's Opera Doc? There's um, a lot of weight in what's Opera Doc. Yeah, you see... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we respect that as good animation because it has these... It has this attention to detail with the dance and it looks at that subtlety rather than just trying to tell a story. It uses this broad... I'm trying to think... What's the word for it? Broad brushstroke with physics to tell that story. But it understands physics. And I think the difference between something like motion capture or using live action as a reference versus keyframing is you're not getting the physics behind it. You're just getting this is what it looked like, Mm -hmm. not what it feels like. Yes. Which I I think is different. You can do keyframing well, though. If you did keyframing and you stylistically put on whatever transition you want in the middle of that, it could be good rather than just going position one, position two, position three, position four, position five. Optionally, position six after a certain amount of time, apparently. Um, (laughs) Rather than just doing that, you could do keyframes and then make that look good in the middle of that without having to be anchored to reality. That's fine by me if someone did that. I think they need to go further. If that's what they choose to do and to be really stylized and to not include the realistic use of physics and weight, then they need to be more stylized. It should have been more cartoony. 
for lack of a better word. Sure. So, so a good I example. I wouldn't so have that clear. expectation set up. It was a, a like a clear break between. Right. Here we are in our regular lives washing things and chickens and whatnot. Right. And that has regular physics. But now that we're dancing, we have no different physics. physics. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't so say for sure this was different. I can't say for sure this was key for having, and Rochelle, I think you'll appreciate this. I think a good example of what I'm talking about of like playing well with those transitions in animation between these key moments of dance is the holophoner sequence from Futurama when they're doing these weird transformations yes. between their positions. <laughs> That's what I'd like to see for dance and animation for keyframing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to Futurama. Or it does. <laughs> well, actually, I have another Simpsons joke for later. Don't worry. <laughs> Is it from Tappa Tappa Tappa? Oh. <laughs> no, but that's a good reference for this. In fact, why don't we... Is it okay if we transition to talking about the story a little bit to kind of wrap up today? Please. I would, I would appreciate that. So a little background on the story here. If you're in the United States and you've seen this movie, you've probably seen it as Leap! Exclamation point, um, produced and distributed by the Weinstein Company. Um, but as we mentioned, this is a French and Canadian Joint venture, not French-Canadian, French and Canadian. French slash, not French dash. <laughs> yeah, French slash. Which would be a great genre of horror film. I would watch that, like a non-stop, like black and white. Mm -hmm. A lot of ennui okay. killing. Yes, I killed him. I don't care, just kill me. I don't me. care. <laughs> and then I cut off his wow. fingers. And just, just for fun? sautéed them. Oh my God. Anyway, please, Ken. Anyway. Wrong. So, yes, the original movie, Ballerina, already had an English dub that existed. This English dub was released in Canada more than a year ago and is on DVD and Blu-ray before the new English dub for the American version of this film, Leap! Exclamation point. So if you hunt, you can find the original Ballerina, which has um, diametrically opposed reviews. The Ballerina is reviewed very positively about 70% on Rotten Tomatoes hmm. uh, versus Leap, which is about 29% on Rotten oh. Tomatoes. Here's why. Many of the voice actors are the same, except they've added in Leap, perplexingly, Mel Brooks and Kate McKinnon. Um, for I like characters. Mel character, though. I liked that guy. <laughs> but many of my problems with the pacing and the forced jokes in this are, you may remember scenes from Leap, exclamation point, where they're like, you see the backs of characters riding on a motorcycle. Mel Brooks has some like mm -hmm. zany one-liner. Yeah. They've just added jokes wherever possible when you can't see mouths of characters. <laughs> oh yeah, that's The Simpsons. That's where we go. And so for me, a lot of this movie in the leap exclamation point is like that episode of Simpsons where they do the Super Bowl episode. Yes. And they jokingly, Homer covers his mouth with beer mug goes, and the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what this feels like. And Mel Brooks and Kate McKinnon are good. And I have additional question about this original English dub of Ballerina. Is it just that they've added Kate McKinnon and Mel Brooks? Or is actual lines of dialogue different? Is the plot different? Do they reanimate or do different scenes? Um, cool. I have not watched both, but Leap is a little bit shorter. And they've taken characters who were mute or mostly mute and given them voices like the um, the orphanage guy that Mel Brooks plays has like two lines in Ballerina. Mm -hmm. 
and here he has a lot of lines instead. And Kate McKinnon, similarly as the uh, the evil mother, has a number of added lines for a mostly mute character. Um, and then they replaced Victor's voice actor, but everyone else was the same. So the rest of the dialogue in the movie is the original dialogue. Change Victor out, add Mel Brooks, add Kate McKinnon. So and the plot is basically the same. From all the reconnaissance yeah. that I did, internet reconnaissance <laughs> that I did, um, there were several people who actually, in, on, on an article saying, who has seen both and can you tell us what's different? And from everybody, it's mostly dialogue. So the things that happen in the third act of the movie that were just insane were always there. <laughs> just better dialogue. And so maybe that makes it work. I'm not sure. But they didn't add scenes. Like they didn't change. They didn't change it. They didn't change scenes. They just added more dialogue and more jokes. So they still and cast her into the performance, the night of the performance, having never rehearsed any of the rest. After the dance-off. After the dance-off. Yeah, correct. Okay. And it's just... I, I don't know what part of the nut, Nutcracker they're about to perform first. Yeah, we don't know either. A uh, part that doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> was, it was, was it snow in the middle? Did they skip the party scene? <laughs> Well, and and both Claire's are on stage at the same time with no one else. It was it was very confusing. There's lots of different ways that people will do the Nutcracker. Sometimes they cast a child, and that's it. The it's a you know a child dancer does the role. Other times they will cast a professional, a company member, and she does the entire role. There are no children, uh, and then sometimes like you know right here in Columbus, Ballet Met will do a split where the first half, which is mostly pantomime with some dancing, will have a child dancer in that role, and then there's some magical transformation where she then becomes this professional adult dancer and dances the rest of the ballet with the Nutcracker. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that people do it, but one where they're both on stage by themselves dancing, I have yet to see. I guess I saw it in Leap. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't want to see it. I no, it didn't really. I mean, it's already one of the more confusing and ridiculous ballets. Um, so no, that that didn't really help. But wow. as back to the story <laughs> a little bit, but that it seems that interestingly enough, dialogue and tone can affect an audience's perception of the overall quality of a story. I have to wonder if the original dialogue was more poetic to, to, to get some of their points across and a little less, like, hammer and chisel. Especially thinking about if the mother had fewer lines, maybe we didn't get that, this is my part. Well, moment. a good example is the the big action sequence at the end with the Statue of Liberty, like... As you're watching that, and Kate McKinnon is um, getting no editing what all on her brilliant ad-libbing, which there needed to be an editor there. Love Kate McKinnon. Yes. <laughs> um, you can see like the mother like flying around the Statue of Liberty, chasing her, and her mouth isn't moving, but there's Kate McKinnon talking. Like I imagine that sequence that. as an action sequence with very little dialogue, just pure tense action. She might it have works. been a scarier villain if she hadn't talked so much. <laughs> You know. that's, that's like, Chris, you often talk to me about things that 
annoy you when we're watching movies and someone sticks a line in when there didn't need to be a line because it just killed the emotion because words are not the best medium to express what needs to be expressed. If you're doing animation or film, it's a visual medium. And I think dialogue, the wrong dialogue, has power to completely undo emotion and what you're doing visually. If you wanted to make that mom dangerous, you don't want her to say, give me your tired, <laughs> your poor. I loved that. And line. I will smash them with this hammer. But it's hammer time. It's but hammer time. But it was not. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> agree that everything in that scene undercut the scene. But yes, yes. as an outtake, stop, it's hammer time, needs to live on. Yeah. Oh, yes. 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 That's, that's what you outtake. do at the end as credits. A, yes. Or on the DVD. Yes. And it has them do hammer time. Just have them break out <laughs> like, into it with the yeah. pants. A la Shrek, a post-credits Shrek hammer right. time yes. dance there you off. Go. Yes. That's right, Chris. I brought Shrek into it. Deal with Thanks. it. Thanks. I appreciate you. Um, but so think much. How, how creepy this scene is because, like, it's a horror movie without dialogue. You see the hammer being dragged along the metal ladder going chunk, chunk, chunk. Yeah. It's like a Japanese yeah. horror film. <laughs> but it's starring Tanya Harding. Oh, 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 oh. Or her mom. Well, or her mom. Yeah. It got, it just, again, with the stereotypes, that was one where I just thought, oh, no. I was. Gonna it, it even got set up earlier. I I expected it almost to come sooner that somebody yeah. was going to try to physically hurt her so that she couldn't get the part. Especially because we had established um, Carly Rae Jepsen dancer. Yes, yeah, so I can't the, remember the that mysterious character. Accident. Yeah, had a mysterious uh, accident. Uh, uh, no one explains to it, us. It. What's that? Chekhov's gun. Yes. Yes, Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it. It did. I mean. It struck me as more showgirls than this film needed (gasps) to be, which is not family friendly, but as far as dancers trying to get in there and one dancer who doesn't have the, the training and the education, but has the passion, you know, Felicity's got heat. Oh my God. I went there. I said it. (laughs) I didn't want to necessarily, but move it came on, out. Move on, move on, <laughs> But it's, there, there's so many stereotypes that they went with. It's almost like if they had been a little bit more, a little bit truer to reality, it could have been very subversive. I think that, you know, the thing about the dance stereotypes is that it just, it doesn't serve the drama because there's actually, if you actually gave us an authentic, you know, example or experience of what dance training is like, it has plenty of trauma in it, and it has struggle, and it has conflict, and it has emotion. We don't need all of these tropes sort of thrown in and added on. You know, you don't need a pushy stage mom to struggle to get a part or to struggle to find motivation. Um and so it just doesn't serve dance as an art form, you know, when, when we're showing these things to the public as somehow representative of the field. Um, there are very few movies where 
they do try to stick to the actual thing. And, and those are lovely dance movies because they don't rely so much on these kind of ridiculous stereotypes. But um, I, so that was the main thing that disappointed me. And then I think also hurt the dramatic arc of the film. It was just, you know, it was like having an action film with a bunch of one-liners. Like, okay, some parts of it were really fun or the, you know, the effects were really cool, but uh, overall as a piece of art, you know, not so much. So I I have one last thought that I want to contribute to the story here is the morning that I saw this movie, I was listening to NPR like you do. Um, (laughs) And it was it was the marketplace report because that's what's on when I go to work, I guess it's big here or something. It, I, I don't listen to NPR Marketplace for fun. I want to emphasize that. Um, <laughs> and their big story that day was about how, like, Hollywood was worried about, like, Star Wars Episode Nine needing a new director and replacing the director. And Hollywood's really nervous about sequels right now because Transformers 6 and Pirates 5 flopped. <laughs> There's a sixth Transformers? Or whatever number one. I don't know. I think it's um, five. It's five. Okay. That's the fifth Transformers and fifth Pirates. Um, but it's the same thing of like why people are confused why Leap exclamation point did very poorly, whereas Ballerina did well. Like you compare the content of the movie with a good movie and Hollywood's like, well, yeah, sequels and animated movies just aren't doing well right now. Like, no, bad stories aren't doing well right uh-huh. now. I'm, I'm not worried about Star Wars Episode Nine flopping or not because Disney and Star Wars are invested enough in finding a good director to make that a good story. That's going to be fine or at least Force Awakens fine. and if they just like let leap be a good story this would do better than it is now i I think if they had shown an orphan getting into the paris opera school and just having to experience what that training would have been like would have been a a a lovely story with plenty of drama and conflict and triumph hopefully you know you could end it with her somehow succeeding she reaches some kind of goal um, but they she gets a background part that. nutcracker. Yeah, or, exactly. I guess that's the question is, what's enough? It's not enough that she gets to stay in the school for some reason, which would be a huge accomplishment yes. on its own. Right. Winning the respect of the ballet master would have been mm-hmm. a feat on its own. Yes. Beating a girl... In a dance-off on stage, <laughs> it may have been stage, enough. It was in the whole building. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, surviving um, a serial killer attack <laughs> yeah. on the Statue of Liberty yeah. could have been enough on its own. Uh, debuting in the Nutcracker at, in the star role, like all of these things. Every where does progressive, she go after that? Where yeah. does she go? Right. Why did she have to win all of the things? Right. Is that a cultural thing? I could Because, as we said, the plot of the movie didn't change. It was just mostly dialogue. But what is it in our expectations or the supposed expectations of the audiences where an orphan girl getting into a ballet school isn't enough of a success? Like what? What is good enough for audiences to say? Yes, that protagonist had a very good um, transition, <laughs> you know, from their old life to this new life. Now that you point that out, I almost feel like because every challenge was met with success, it actually 
it kind of ruins yeah the feeling for her and sympathy for her and and the drama of it i actually feel like yeah of course she's going to do that of course she's going to figure it out of course it's going to be okay of course she's going to end up with victor right like or whoever it it's it just like it almost it's set up the fact that it's always going to be successful and so then the challenges are sort of false they don't mm. they don't actually worry me that much and i think if it had just actually been you know is she going to get in or can she stay in this class or you know just something that's a little more realistic it would have actually had some real authentic drama to it some real emotion for her so here's here's my pitch for an 8 minute film where we could chop up Leap and get a good movie still called Leap. (laughs) It is a story of an orphan named Victor. (laughs) (laughs) And he wants to just create chicken wings that fly. I would see this movie. And become, (laughs) you know, a, a great inventor someday. And he knows he has to start somewhere. So he starts off, he moves to Paris with his friend, who he doesn't see very often. They're growing apart. Mm-hmm. But he ends up being the janitor for Eiffel as they're building the Eiffel Tower. And he says, this is enough. And he's learning what he can on the job, little by little. And then at the end of the film, he takes a leap mm-hmm. with his new wings and crashes. Because, you know, he's not that good yet. He's still learning. No, I agree. No, I think at that point, or you I would don't like know. to see him not crash. Or you don't know. Yeah. I, I, would, I would like for that short to end with success like or a, ambiguity. Ambiguity. But definitely not a crash. Okay. You see him leap, and his face changes, and then see. black. Changes You're done. Out. Yes. I don't know. Like. <laughs> in our you audio podcast you didn't see what my face did the, the you, look you of horror a, and the look of elation you could have yeah. two you could have two <laughs> endings or three endings you pick do you want do you want before his face changes after it changes to elation or after it changes to terror <laughs> choose your own ending. oh no the ground <laughs> so uh, but that victor's story I think was the better told story. Which is ironic because it's almost like, why is he in this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, I thought he would be, they started out so connected. And then as soon as they got to Paris, it was like, nope, you're a totally secondary story, secondary character. You're not really involved in this. And it was really strange. Yeah. But I completely but agree. I agree. Yeah. His story, <laughs> it has the, has the appropriate arc. Yeah, Hers is ridiculous. and he has an appropriate sense of expectation about what he like, where he is, and what he can accomplish. I mean, he's an optimist, obviously, but like, you know, he puts a spin on things. But he knows that he's not Eiffel. He's not whoever. He's not some great inventor. He's still a kid trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's the difference. He's optimistic. She's kind of kind of cocksure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is certainly not um, not something you get out of most. Ballet train trains, trains. <laughs> <laughs> at least at some level. Cool, I, I guess. I don't know what else to say. That I so we all agree that Victor's story was better told, and even though his story is a little bit more ridiculous in terms of building wings that fly, somehow we're cool with that. Yes, his absurd invention story. Yes. 
was more authentic in some way than the story of a girl trying to become a ballet dancer. Yeah, he, you know, he had the failures. He failed and failed and failed and kept trying. He failed with her. He failed and he was still, you know, he still kept going. That right, that's his triumph. He just keeps going. He keeps trying. He tries something new. I, I agree. Hmm. Well, I wanted to ask our panel if you had from both of these, it's the Flash Beagle, Charlie Brown, or Leap Exclamation Point slash Ballerina. If you had a favorite thing from either of those two things. My favorite thing that is completely ridiculous moment from, from Leap, but I'm going to use it with my dance classes. <laughs> She's, <laughs> so I'm going to get some use out of it. She is trying to land in the puddle without splashing. And she has that moment with the pigeons, which they've already mm -hmm. built in the pigeons, so that's cool. And then the feather. And the feather comes down and lands just the tip first and then rolls into the water. And that's exactly what Felice needs to do to land without splashing. And I'm going to use that image. I'm not going to take my kids out. I'm not going to pour water on the ground. I'm not going to hang the bell in the tree. But I am going to say, look like a feather does. And there you have it. So there's an instance of good physics. Exactly. And good imagery. And good, good imagery, imagery. And, and decent physics. Yeah, the feather acted like I expected a feather to act. And for Felici to emulate that feather the best a human can is a, is a goal of dance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the character, but Nora? I enjoyed... Yes, Nora. I enjoyed <laughs> Nora. <laughs> yeah, she was great. I particularly enjoyed that she got all the way to the, you know, the top three dancers. And then yeah. when she got cut, um, didn't didn't even register for a minute and then turned to her and said something like oh I hate her beat her yeah. or something. <laughs> everything Nora said I loved yeah she was quite entertaining I loved the moment when the other girl that I don't know if we ever learned her name they were walking in the beginning and not the beginning like the three of them were in the hall and there was some sort of conversation about oh you just have to work hard and you have to keep going and you know, this optimism, rah, 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 and Nora said something like, yeah, you can keep working hard and it'll work out, unless this is one of those times that it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I so appreciate that, but we're not going to go there in this movie, I can tell. But <laughs> there, there, is, there is just something to that. Yes, you have to work hard and you'll achieve your dreams and it'll all work out. Unless this is one of those times that it doesn't. But we're going to go ahead and try and do it anyway. I, I really, real. I don't know if that was yeah. my favorite part, but I really appreciated it. For me, it was also in Leap. It was the stylized way that they retold Victor's day. How he told everything <laughs> that happened to him. And it moved in Matrix bullet time. Yes. You know, and just <laughs> held good. things and you just heard the way that he spun everything and it was just funnier and funnier. Like that was using the medium yes. to do anything to create something original and fun. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really striking moment. It was just such a really well done segment. 
I, it, it just made me sad for the rats. <laughs> but I love that moment. You're, you're right. That that is the the best use of animation in the whole thing. And why couldn't they have yeah. used animation in that skillfully in her story somehow? Yeah, like the why is this animated versus being a live action right. movie? That's right, right. the answer. Victor's oh, yeah. moment. Yeah, I my favorite thing was a, a story thing that doesn't really make sense transition wise. Again, has to work on its transitions. I just liked that. <laughs> Camille turned out to not be a 2D villain. I don't believe how she got to being not a 2D no. villain, but no. I like that she didn't. <laughs> well, we'll always I, I, be friends. I I, did, I was simultaneously rolling my eyes out and feeling annoyed, but also loving the why do you dance theme <laughs> that kept coming back. Um on the one hand, because I'm like, oh, God, this is such a, like, tropey, stereotypy yes. kind of thing. But at the same time, like, my other moment I appreciated about Nora, in case this is not one of those times that it works out. <laughs> I, I think you do have to know why you dance, and not just because your mom's making you. It has to be a personal want. Yeah. I think I think dance movies, even good dance movies, tend to they get real hung up on this. You know, even Billy Elliot, which is one of the most excellent dance movies, actually, um, they have this exact same thing where, you know, his teacher rather wisely tells him that, you know, they'll teach you technique. Like, the reason I want you to audition is not because you're good, but it's because you, you're right, you have this incredible movement inside you and this passion. The problem is that it's such a subjective and such a sort of ethereal thing to discuss passion or motivation or desire that it, it gets real, it can get really hokey really quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all the dance movies get really like hung up on that. Mm. And it's hard. I mean, as a teacher, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you can, especially in ballet training, you can get so stuck in the mechanics of learning how to do things correctly that it's true that they, the students stop dancing. Yeah. They are like little robots just trying to do the moves perfectly. And there's no sense of narrative or story or emotion or feeling in them anywhere. (laughs) Their face is just like blank, you know. Um, And so, you know, how do you teach that to somebody? How do you say, be passionate about this? But but it's like you can't extrinsically like dump that on somebody and expect it to work. You, you don't fall into dancing the way you might maybe fall into accounting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, numbers are fine. I, maybe numbers? I'll be an accountant. Okay. Yeah, that's a good well, job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think there are too many successful professional dancers who would say, yeah, I just thought I'd see what happened. I kind of like kicking my legs. That's all right, that's I guess. I thought I'd try it like, <laughs> for a living. <laughs> Okay, so note to studios, let's make an accurate um, kids-oriented dance movie that we can use in dance classes. Thank you. Sincerely, Writers Can Animate It and our resident dance panel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, Chris, should we talk about our, our homework time for our next episode? Yes, let's. tricked you no homework deal with it (laughs) it's a surprise you'll see if you're a long-time listener you already see 
where we're where we're going with it. Yeah, where we're going. Awesome. Um, <laughs> as always, thank you to our engineer Nigel Catino uh, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music, and thank you Dance Panel for um, educating me and our listeners <laughs> on dance today. I've learned a lot. Thank you. For yeah, that. thanks. thanks. For it was fun. You can catch us on the web. Let us know what we got right in our analysis, what we got wrong in our analysis on Twitter at WG Animated. You can like us on Facebook or stop liking us on Facebook after this conversation, <laughs> depending, depending on how you go. Facebook.com slash WG Animated. And we will have links to all the crazy things that we talked about. Probably a huge long list of links to dance terms and other things. Definitely clips of Snoopy dancing, lots of Snoopy dancing on our show notes at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. I feel like we should have a dance off, but it's an audio podcast, so we can say we had one and they will never know if we had one or not. Do, 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 Ken is definitely dancing right now. I'm doing flash dance legs. Good night, everybody.